Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Jalani Tulo and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, Lesotho urged to introduce security reforms and SADC parliamentary forum gets underway in Durban. In economics news, Euro stumbles after a Greek vote against austerity measures. And in sports news, Nigeria sacks national team coach Stephen Keshi. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. East African leaders are set to meet today in the latest bid to resolve the political crisis in Burundi. This after controversial elections were internationally condemned for not being free and fair. More than 70 people have been killed in more than two months of protests and failed coup attempt sparked by President Pierre Nkurunziza's defiant bid for a third term, with almost 144,000 refugees fleeing into neighboring nations. Parliamentary and local elections were held on Monday despite an appeal by the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon to postpone the polls after months of turmoil. Food security, regional trade and migration will top the agenda at the 37th SADC Parliamentary Forum, which will start in South Africa's coastal city of Durban this morning. The forum is a platform for parliamentarians from 14 SADC countries to voice their views on regional issues and to promote integration. The forum's vice president and speaker of the Malawian parliament, Joseph Njovuyelema, says the resolutions that the forum will take will be presented to the heads of state for adoption at the SEDEC summit next month. We think looking at our region, not many countries have enough food to feed their nations. And we want to see how best this situation can be handled. And the other issues about trade, we are concerned about the free movement of traders who move from one country to another. Uh, in order to to sell and buy uh, commodities. These are some of the issues which will come about. South Sudan's government is set to investigate claims by the United Nations that its troops raped and burnt girls alive inside their homes during recent fighting in the country's ongoing civil war. Earlier this month, rights investigators from the UN mission in South Sudan said the war in Sudan had seen new brutality and intensity, including gang rape, torture and gruesome murders. Egypt's military has launched airstrikes and ground operations that killed 63 Islamist militants in the northern Sinai Peninsula. The Sinai Peninsula has witnessed some of the heaviest fighting between security forces and Islamist militants since the army toppled President Mohamed Morsi of the Muslim Brotherhood in 2013. Egypt's interior ministry says it also arrested 12 Brotherhood members who had formed three cells with the intention of carrying out attacks on policemen, soldiers and military and police bases. 
And finally, at least five people have been killed in a bomb attack that targeted a church in the volatile northeastern Nigerian city of Putaskim. According to a police officer and witnesses, the attack took place when an assailant blew up his explosives inside an uncompleted church in an area on the outskirts of the city in Yowe State. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, and It is 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Survivors of gender-based violence in South Sudan's central Equatoria state now have a safe place to call their own. The UN mission in the country, UNMIS, recently handed over a temporary shelter to the local government where survivors will have access to legal, medical and psychosocial support, as well as a accommodation. The shelter took two months to build and cost over 50,000 U.S. dollars. UN Radio's Otto Robert Awata attended the handover ceremony and filed this report. Central Equatorial State Ministry of Gender, Soil and Social Welfare has finally got safe house it has been longing for that protects survivors of gender-based violence. The project was an initiative of UNMIS, according to Anthony Wapa, UNMIS Human Rights Officer. The object of this project is to ensure that there is a safe house for survivors who may not feel happy to continue with their environment because their environment is hostile to them. So we have to accommodate them here temporarily and offer them all the necessary legal and medical support as well as psychosocial support. Mary Apai Ayika, Minister of Gender, Soil and Social Welfare, Central Equatorial State, said women who have been abused are traumatized and need support so that they get recovered. We feel that it is good for us, as a government, to bring them to this house so that they can recover from all those abuses, so that uh, the trauma can be reduced and they will be able to go and stay in where they have been staying before. Bovan Katri, commanding officer's Nepalese battalion, says the Safe House project protects survivors of gender-based violence. This is one of the important uh, aspects and assets that could contribute to the conflict-related victims, especially the children, women, who can use this place as a shelter, as a safe house. I appeal to UNIMIS and other development partners to provide furniture such as beds, tables and chairs in the rooms. Even if the house is handed to us, yet we have to think of where are the beds. Because you cannot bring a person here and you ask her to sleep on the floor. So this is just an appeal to you, Unimis, if you can uh, look around and maybe have partnership with other development partners to help us. Yekira Samia Amin said the safe house will ensure confidentiality of cases of victims of gender-based violence. It's going to make our confidentiality rate very high because this department is just going to be for that case alone. They just bring her direct to the office and then it becomes very confidential with the, with the survivors.
And that report was by UN Radio's Robert Atawa. It's 8.08 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. SADC leaders have pressured the Lesotho government to agree to the institution of a judicial commission of inquiry into the killing of the Mountain Kingdom's former army commander Brigadier Maparangwe Mahau. There are claims that the assassination of Mahau, a key ally of the former Prime Minister Tom Tabane, who is now the main opposition leader, was sanctioned by military top brass. South Africa's Deputy President Sil Ramaphosa was on Monday urgently sent to Lesotho to consult with Prime Minister Pagadita Musisidi following fears of more political instability in the country. Tsepo Ikaneng reports. The deteriorating security situation in Lesotho forced President Jacob Zuma, who's the chairperson of the SADC organ on politics, defense and security cooperation, to convene an emergency SADC double-tracker summit in Pretoria. In attendance were, amongst others, chairman of the SADC Regional Economic Bloc, President Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe, Lesotho's Prime Minister, Pakadi Tamusisidi, and Botswana's President, Lieutenant General Ian Kama. The recent assassination of former Lesotho Defense Force Commander, Brigadier Maparangwe Mahao, has sparked fears that Lesotho could plunge into yet another political turmoil. Three political leaders, including the main opposition and former Prime Minister Tom Tabani, have fled the country fearing for their lives. It has been agreed that a team of pathologists from South Africa and a team of investigators from Namibia and Zimbabwe will investigate the killing of Lesotho's former army commander. Western diplomats and security analysts are concerned that Mahao's death could spark a security crisis in a country of 2 million people, which has been hit hard by several coups since independence from Britain in 1966. President Jacob Zuma has once again condemned the killing of Brigadier Mahao. The recent events in the country only served to derail the process towards normalizing the political and security situation, we cannot but express our concern about the death of Brigadier Mohau, an incident that has plunged the kingdom into a serious security crisis. The Pretoria SADC double tracker meeting was yet another diplomatic effort to compel the leadership of Lesotho to expedite the process of the implementation of the constitutional and security sector reforms. The summit has also urged government of the Mountain Kingdom to create a conducive environment for the return of opposition leaders to the landlocked southern African state. Lesotho's Prime Minister, Pakadi Musisidi has welcomed the outcomes of the Pretoria Regional Leaders Summit. I want to say that uh, the summit of the double tracker has indeed uh, addressed uh, the issues with a lot of understanding and they have been very gracious and magnanimous in the uh, structures they have set up clearly with the view to give confidence and security to the people of Lesotho. A judge from Botswana will head a 60-day commission of inquiry into the death of Lesotho's Defence Force Commander Brigadier Maparangwe Mahao.
in Pretoria. South African President Jacob Zuma says SADC needs to establish a regional parliament to allow for people's participation in tackling challenges facing the region. He was addressing officials from the region on the eve of the 37th SADC Parliamentary Forum in Durban. Instability in Lesotho, the DRC and Madagascar is among the challenges that SADC has had to deal with. Parliamentarians from the 14 member states will deliberate on the proposal to transform the forum to a legislative body and economic integration, among other things. The forum is a platform for parliamentarians from the SADC region to voice their views on regional issues and to promote integration. Zanele Butelezi reports. The issue of transforming the SADC Parliamentary Forum into a regional parliament is among those to top the agenda at this week's meeting in Durban. Parliamentarians from the region want heads of state to consider the proposal at the SADC summit next month. South Africa is among 12 countries out of the 14 in the SADC region that have voiced their support for the move. President Jacob Zuma says it's imperative to create a firm platform that allows for people's participation in dealing with regional issues. The work we've been doing in the DRC, Madagascar and other countries, if the regional representatives of the people are participating, I think we can do better than what we have done so far. So it is important, I hope that you will be able to deliberate on this matter because it's important to create a very firm platform of people's participation so that what we do in the executive is indeed in keeping with what the people think and what the people expect. He says South Africa will support the proposal when it formally comes to the SADC summit next month. Vice President of the SADC Parliamentary Forum, Joseph Njovialema of Malawi, says SADC needs to keep up with other regions on the African continent that have already set up regional parliaments. Yeah, to help in, in formulating laws pertaining to issues impinging or touching on regional concerns, for example, child trafficking, things to do with the climate change, environmental matters things to do with illegal trading of maybe wildlife and forestry products. We need to come up with regional pieces of legislation to address those issues because they cannot be addressed by one nation. Trade among countries in the region is another issue that will be looked at. President Zuma has emphasized the need to push for greater regional economic integration. He says SADC has made significant progress in integrating its markets but more still needs to be done. Integration of the real economy can still be considerably advanced and indeed taken to a new level by integrating our economies at production level. This would constitute deeper relations and regional integration that goes into behind-the-border issues including production, sharing, and cross-border value chains. Meanwhile, xenophobia is to be under the spotlight when a roundtable discussion on migration takes place this afternoon on the sidelines of the forum's meeting. Jovia Lema says the aim is to come up with a useful arrangement on migration in the region. 
it's important that nations know why one particular individual is traveling from home country to another and for what purposes and to see if the receiving country will be able to support this uh, particular individual other than just receiving people anyhow some of them are crooks and it might not help the receiving countries. Food insecurity in many countries in the region is another issue that will be discussed by parliamentarians. The hope is that resolutions taken by the forum will be adopted by heads of states at the SADC meeting next month. Zanele Butelezi, Durban. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveille-toi. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. Le soleil élevé. We ya wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, du melang, san bonani. Africa, mulishani, mulibwanji. Africa, ayen yomi, kilon shele. Africa, ndinkim, kinku unume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. We, we are, are one people. people. Channel Africa. Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. South Africa will have to spend at least $9.6 billion to help get the new BRICS Development Bank up and running. The 7th BRICS Summit, which starts in Russia on Wednesday, will discuss the operationalization of the new bank. The bank, established by countries that include Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, will start operating with an initial fund of $48 billion. And government says South Africans will fully participate in the running of the bank. The long-awaited BRICS New Development Bank is due to start functioning before the end of this year, and BRICS leaders meeting in Russia next week will discuss the operationalization of the new bank and the naming of the new Board of Governors for the BRICS Development Bank. Currently, South Africa, like other countries, have ratified the protocol establishing the bank and will have to cough up over 120 billion rand for its running. International Relations and Cooperation Minister Maite Nkwana Mashabane says Pretoria will have full representation in all structures of the new bank. When this historic bank will be formed, we will be very much part of it. And we've been given the right as equal members to nominate a board of governors to serve in this. And we'll also have a vice president who will serve here on a rotational basis. The minister says some countries have pledged to pay more than others, but she insisted that they will all be treated the same. China had volunteered to put more money, but the share options had not been in terms of who contributed how much. But it is that founding members of the bank will have equal shares to this. And we are proudly members of this club and we really are not apologizing for it. Minister Maite Nkwana Mashabane says South Africa stands to benefit from the bank, especially in the financing of its infrastructure projects. When the bank is formed, the bank would start looking for developmental projects to fund. I think the question we should be asking is South Africa and Africa. Do you have bankable projects that you will be presenting to the new development bank of BRICS, which could be funded? And the answer is yes. We've got bankable projects that will be presenting. The focus of the bank is on infrastructure development projects 
And that's why I said we're very excited about this because that's our focus area now in our developmental trajectory. With the new bank up and running, South Africa will benefit immensely as it would have access to funding at more favorable terms and would benefit from job creation and skills development because the African headquarters of the BRICS Bank will be based in Johannesburg. President Jacob Zuma will lead the country's delegation that comprises ministers from the trade and industry, finance and economic development portfolios. I am Debu Mokobovs in Pretoria. It's 8.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, says the about 2.3 billion US dollars funding gap for education in conflict, which is 10 times more than education currently receives from humanitarian aid, urgently needs to be filled. This comes as the new education for all global monitoring report shows that an estimated 34 million children and adolescents are out of school in conflict-affected countries. The UNESCO report goes to show that young women are almost 90% more likely to be out of secondary school in conflict-affected countries than elsewhere. More from Kate Redman, communications and advocacy specialist at UNESCO. That there are 34 million children and adolescents who are out of school in conflict-affected countries. It showed as well that these children and adolescents are suffering from inequalities far more than those in other countries. So the poorest and girls, for example, are far more likely to be out of school in countries that are affected by conflict than others. And then in addition, it looks at sort of why this is the case and why it's such a persistent problem and really identified financing for education in conflict as, as, as the area that really needs to be addressed quite urgently, pinpointing the fact that $2.3 billion would enable all of those 34 million children and adolescents who are out of school to get back into school in those countries. I mean, conflict can hit a country very dramatically and schools can be shut down immediately or they can be raised to the ground, as we've seen in Syria, for instance. Sometimes schools are targets in conflict, so they can be used as military bases. But in in, in the most part, you can just find that the, the general routine of teachers turning up and children turning up in school is totally disrupted and what is normality and the normal life it changes completely Uh, that obviously presents an enormous problem for for education how do you make sure that teachers continue to turn up at school and make sure that those teachers have the right training to help those children what do you do if there is no school at all you know there has to be some form of safe area for these children a child-friendly space where they can go and and be able to continue learning as they were beforehand I mean, there are various uh, different challenges that range from psychosocial to infrastructural to um, sort of teachers to just even in terms of general stability in the country that, that obviously make it a very, very complicated issue to address. Does this report look at countries around the world or is only focused on African countries? And also, what are some of the African countries that are greatly affected by, by this? So the report looks at all countries around the world and looks at areas within countries that are conflict-affected, so not just taking a whole country, but looking at whether there might be just one region that's affected by fighting, for instance. Um, However, it does find that over half of the children and adolescents that are out of school due to conflict are in sub-Saharan Africa. 
And I guess some of the main countries in the region that are affected by this are Nigeria, as has been obvious from, obviously, what's been occurring with Boko Haram and the kidnapping mm-hmm. of many of girls there. But in addition, Ethiopia, for unfortunately, many, many countries where the story is the same. What are some of the recommendations that this report makes? The report makes four main recommendations, really, that are based on financing. It says that we really need an objective needs assessment of what the problems are for children and adolescents on the ground in countries affected by conflict. So at the minute, it's quite random as to how children and adolescents are identified as needing support. So we need a better way of of actually finding out what the problems are so that we can address them. Um, It says that the financing gap for helping these children and young people needs to be filled. So that's $2.3 billion which is 10 times what education is receiving from humanitarian aid at present. It's really calling on donors who are meeting um, in Norway in a week's time um, and again in Addis Ababa um, at the beginning of next month to look at financing and development to understand that unless they can step up these, this funding for education in conflict countries, we're going to continue to see it as an evolving and perhaps growing problem for, for the sector. And lastly, it says that there's a move to try and centralise the way that money is being given to countries that are affected by conflict. And the paper says that if that happens, they've just got to make sure that all the funds that come through a global fund that they're suggesting setting up are new and additional and flexible so they can be quickly sent to countries that, that need that support. And, and that it's centralised, so it's not coming from many different sources, but that you know we can sit back and say clearly how much a country is receiving and then know how much is still needed and what the finance gap still is. And that was Kate Redmond, Communications and Advocacy Specialist at UNESCO, speaking to Khumuto Mopulane. Now let's go back in time to today in 1971. U.S. jazz trumpeter and singer Louis Armstrong dies in his sleep in New York at the age of 69. Let's listen to one of his hit songs, What a Wonderful World. See trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful What a Wonderful World, a song by the legendary jazz trumpeter and singer Louis Armstrong, who died in New York on this day in 1971. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Noise from road traffic can be annoying and deafening, UN health experts say. But while accelerating cars and rumbling lorries are a modern-day bugbear for many of us, new UN-led regulations should see quieter streets in future. As according to Serge Fiocher, chair of a UN Economic Commission for Europe Global Initiative, who explained to Daniel Johnson how the policy change works in practice. The new procedure, we adopted the new methods, which is more relevant on the way the driver is running the car. So 
all the values of decibel, we will reduce these levels, will have a direct impact on the noise produced by vehicles in the streets. Now, one of the things you're specifically addressing this time round are commercial vehicles available on the Japanese and Chinese markets. Why exactly is that? First of all, maybe I have to say that we address all vehicles, all categories of vehicles. It's uh, always passenger cars, like uh, light commercial vehicles, but also uh, buses and uh, trucks. And so we could also take into account some uh, requirements from Asian countries, like Japan and China, considering their specific markets with their light commercial vehicles, and also in China with their specific light commercial vehicles, to have uh, an international regulation applicable in all countries. So the thresholds, of course, are lower than those we use today. So uh, the first level we will have uh, at the implementation of this new regulation 5103, this UN regulation, is uh, 72 dB. Today the level is 74. So we have uh, 2 dB less for passenger cars. So we will reduce this level in between 2016 and 2024 by 4 dB for these uh, passenger cars. So this is a real uh, reduction of the decibels that the citizen would really... Uh, would feel, would, would hear. Can you just give me a bit more detail on how that sound is actually going to be reduced? Manufacturers are doing it, and you're also approaching the way people drive cars. Is that right? It's a combination of the two effects. In fact, we expect from manufacturers they will introduce uh, new technologies, new uh, systems in the vehicles to reduce the noise of the vehicles. That's not going to make it more expensive and therefore more difficult uh, for them to pay for, to get this new regulation accepted on a truly global level? We have three steps in this uh, new regulation which will give a certain time to allow the manufacturer to prepare these future vehicles. So it, it will take, take a certain time for uh, this introduction of these new technologies and this will uh, permit to the manufacturer to think about their new models for the future and to implement the right solution to fulfill these new limits. And that was Serge Fischer, chair of a UN Economic Commission for Europe, speaking to Daniel Johnson. It's exactly 8.30 Central African time and Anne Musa standing by with the headlines. A very good morning to you. East African leaders are set to meet today in the latest bid to resolve the political crisis in Burundi. Thus, after controversial elections were internationally condemned for not being free and fair. Food security, regional trade and migration will top the agenda the 37th SADC Parliamentary Forum, which will start in South Africa's coastal city of Durban this morning. And South Sudan's government is set to investigate claims by the United Nations that its troops raped and burnt goals alive inside their homes during recent fighting in the country's ongoing civil war. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. Authorities in South Africa's Eastern Cape province say the deaths of initiatives in the province cannot be described as uncontrollable and have not reached a crisis situation. This despite the fact that some initiates have been admitted to hospitals in the Oatambo region due to botched circumcisions. Nine initiates have died in the province since the beginning of this winter season, while more than 50 initiates have been taken to rescue centers. Between 2005 and 2005, 15, 500 initiates died, while 300 have lost their manhood. Ngulile Gonyembezi reports. 
More than 36 initiates between ages of 13 and 17 have been rescued from illegal initiation schools in Liboria. They have been admitted to St. Barnabas Hospital here. The hospital is experiencing a shortage of beds. So far, nine initiates have since died since the launch of initiation winter season a week ago. Provincial Health Spokesperson Cesar Kupelas confirmed that some initiates have been transferred to other hospitals due to a lack of space at St. Barnabas Hospital. And in Liberia, trying to avert crime following the admission of 36 initiates. As a result of the high number of initiates that have had to be admitted, the hospital is experiencing serious challenges, which include uh, non-admission of uh, other patients with medical conditions. The hospital, as we speak, cannot admit at least six patients who require admission. The MSC for Traditional Affairs, Fiki de Casa, says the death of initiates in the province has not yet reached an uncontrollable state. Casa says the establishment of the temporal structure as a rescue center that will deal with critical initiates will bring relief to the death of initiates. Now our intervention, we have come here to create a rescue center to start with because we, have, we could see an overflow of boys who are being admitted uh, in the hospitals around uh, here. And uh, we hear that there are some boys who are kept in some place which requires some intervention, but we are not sure where to take them. So we are creating this rescue center, and uh, we have visited the hospital here. We, we could see the number of boys who are there, and uh, the team is still going to continue visiting to see if they are the illegal amaboma. If they are illegal amaboma, they will continue to take and save those boys, and we need these centers. Some underaged initiates who wish to remain anonymous regret their action after going to an illegal school without the consent of their parents. <coughs> the reason why I'm looking like this is because I just uh, decided to go for circumcision not knowing that uh, I would be beaten like this. I'm just praying to God to get better and after that I will continue with my schooling, nothing else. Meanwhile, some parents of the affected initiates told SABC News that they want the perpetrators to face the full wrath of the law. The one who initiated my boy, without my consent, I have opened a case against him. The other one who have beaten him is also a wanted man now. I don't know what to say because this boy did not ask permission from me and I'm told that he did not finish writing his exams. He just disappeared. Has called on police to act against unregistered traditional surgeon who he claims continues to circumcise young boys without getting permission from traditional leaders. He says the traditional surgeon has been evading them and police for some time. This man called in China is around and he does not want to see an uncircumcised voice. It doesn't matter whether you bring a chicken or anything, China would circumcise the boy and that is a big problem. When we first visited him, he had more than 40 boys. After a day, we visited him again and there were 86 underaged boys there. He is only behind cash, that's all. Committee Development Foundation of South Africa Director Nkulego Nyesi says there are three rescue centers that have been established to accommodate initiates. Nyesi has welcomed the intervention of the Health and Traditional Affairs Departments in ensuring the safety of initiates.
Yeah, definitely this rescue center is going to assist uh, in the sense that uh, as we speak now, the St. Barnabas Hospital uh, it is full of initiate. So this uh, center is going to al- uh, alleviate uh, the challenges there. But also it is going to assist in the in, in the sense that uh, the initiates are going to be able to continue with the initiation practice whilst they are receiving uh, the best medical care. Meanwhile, ANC in the province says it's concerned about the ongoing deaths of initiates despite the interventions by the government and non-governmental organizations. I'm Gulule Gunyembezi in the Eastern Cape. The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. It's 8.37 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now the Seychelles economy depends almost entirely on fishing and tourism. Statistics from the United Nations World Tourism Organization indicates at least 30% of the Seychelles workforce is in the tourism industry. To keep the visitors coming, the Seychelles tourism industry is moving to sustainable tourism, earning profits while at the same time conserving fragile ecosystems. Sarah Kimani reports. It takes a drive through mangrove vegetations for one to get to the Constanza Filia Resort of Seychelles. The resort sits on at least 300 acres of land. It was built between 2008 and 2010. The management ensured that the ecosystem remained undisturbed. Mangroves cover about 2,900 hectares of the total area of land in Seychelles. While the total coverage area of mangrove cover has remained stable, they are constantly under threat from developers keen to put up resorts like this one. Marcus Osh Unrath is an environment consultant. Well, the mangroves are like a buffer zone, you know. So first of all, the mangroves stabilize the coastal areas, they filter the water, they protect the soil, they keep it together. It is a habitat for a lot of fish species, crabs and birds. And well, yeah, um, it's just a, a valuable habitat for even the human beings. Some people, they catch the crabs for their little livelihoods or doing some crafts out of the woods. Seychelles is home to seven species of mangroves, all of which can be found at this expansive resort. Inside the resort, the facility desalinates its water and packs it in recyclable glass bottles. This is done using solar technology. From recycling to sorting out waste and moving on two wheels around the resort, Constantophilia is bringing home to Seychelles the idea of tourism with a conscience, sustainable tourism. Marcus again. So sustainable thinking is in a way cost effective and it will save you a lot of money in the future term. At another facility, the Banyantri Resort, Boniface Lim, the resort's chief engineer, takes us through a vegetable and herbs garden. Farm to fork is a policy here. Important because seashells imports 90% of the foods consumed in the country. Um, we've done a lot actually for sustainable tourism. Uh, one way is this farm. You know, It creates uh, an experience for our guests to see 
how it's grown. You know, um, our guests normally they never seen, for example, a papaya tree. They only see what's already on the plate, um, and we don't cut any trees. You know, uh, when we do tree planting, for example, we don't cut any trees. We supplement them. The United Nations Travel Organization indicates that last year, ecotourism accounted for 6% of the global gross domestic product. That is about 4.5 trillion U.S. dollars. Um, nowadays, guests wants to see greeneries, green uh, initiative from the resort. Uh, be simply because where they come from, they barely see any more uh, sustainable exercise, sustainable effort. Banyan is also home to among the last remaining wetlands and seashells. It is here that the hotel has started a project to save the endangered tattoos and terrapins. Sarah Kimani, Seashells. The co-founder of South African Umbatanga Group, Soul Brothers David Masondo, has died after spending almost two months in the Garden City Hospital in Johannesburg. Managing director of Johan Sibia Music Promotions, where Masondo recorded his last album, confirmed the news yesterday. Masondo was born in Hammersdale in Durban in 1950. His Soul Brothers Group popularized the South African soul concept Umbatanga. Wisani Makubele reports. David Masondo started his musical career by doing gigs in townships with the Groovy Boys in Hammersdale in Durban. He later co-founded the Soul Brothers. Described as stalwarts of South Africa's music scene, the Soul Brothers recorded over 30 albums since their formation in 1974. David Masondo started as a drummer, playing alongside bassist Zenzelem Kunu, guitarist Tuzam Tetwa, and Moses Nguenya, who played keyboard. Masondo then moved from drums to lead vocals. They were in inspired by American soul music. The band dominated South African urban music for over three decades. The Soul Brothers enjoyed massive acclaim and commercial success, but their audience remained limited to South Africa and neighboring states. In 1979, the group suffered a major setback when three band members perished in car crashes. Despite those tragic events, Masondo and Nguenya carried on, performing with an expanded group that included not only musicians but dedicated dancers. <laughs> After spending almost two months at the Garden City Hospital in Johannesburg, Masondo passed away on Sunday. Managing director of Johann Sibia Music Productions, where Masondo recorded his last album, Johann Sibia, says Masondo's death is a huge loss to the music industry. I would love to confirm that uh, our traditional and Mbagana singer, David Masondo, has passed on and uh, he was at the hospital at Johannesburg. We had a hope that uh, he will be okay. Unfortunately, we have lost him. To all the followers of Mpagana music, that we have lost an icon, we have lost a father and a person who we were looking forward. He's still going to leave his legacy to the young people of South Africa. May his soul rest in peace. Musician and poet Mzwa Kembuli has sent his condolences to the Masondo family. We have lost... Mbakanga King, the leader of uh, the Soul Brothers, known all over the world, internationally acclaimed. Mdavo, like a soldier, 
he, he fell on the battlefield, fell on stage in the Eastern Cape a couple of weeks ago. According to management, he was actually fatigued. He was going to rest, regain his strength, and go back and entertain music lovers out there. It is unfortunate he is no more with us. His music will live forever. His legacy will live forever. A soldier has fallen in the music arts fraternity. Soul Brothers manager and Masondo's friend Welcome Zimande, famously known as Bodloza, has described the late singer as a humble and dedicated man. David Masondo would like to be remembered for the contribution in the best music in Bakanga. The whole team of the Soul Brothers, during the 80s and the 90s, they would release the song around about November to December. But the password that will go across to many people who are the fans, they would tell all the artists that don't release during the time when the Soul Brothers is releasing. Because we won't buy your song, we'll buy the Soul Brothers. And they really did that. Details of his memorial and funeral services are expected to be revealed later in the week. I'm Wisani Makubele in Johannesburg. It's 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our economics update up next with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Finance Minister of Greece, Yanis Varoufakis, has resigned from his post following the historic referendum that voted against accepting creditors' terms of a bailout. Varoufakis alleged that many members of the Eurozone did not want to deal with him. He said it is imperative for Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras to reach an agreement with the Troika creditors, including the International Monetary Fund and the European Central Bank. He also pledged his support for Tsipras, the new Minister of Finance, and the Greek government. Official figures from yesterday's referendum show 61.31% voting no and 38.69% voting yes. Meanwhile, following the outcome of the referendum, calls mounted in Berlin to cut Athens loose from the currency union, raising the risk of a fluent crisis in the Eurozone. German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French President Francois Hollande will meet in Paris this afternoon as the European Union's grand single currency project faces the biggest challenge since its inception. South Africa's official opposition party, Democratic Alliance, says it is writing to Transport Minister Dipuo Peters to ask her to explain allegations that the Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa has imported diesel locomotives which are not suitable for the country's conditions. Earlier, the agency spokesperson, Mofet Mofuging, said all their 13 new trains which they imported from Europe were already in operation and were in perfect working condition. The trains are said to be worth $48 million DA Member of Parliament, Manny De Freitas. I'm writing to the Minister today, asking her just to explain, are her, her responses indeed, are they correct? And what, where do these allegations, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire? 
uh, where did the allegations of incorrect uh, measurements come from? Because I heard it from another source as well, and subsequently I've heard uh, other people telling me the same thing. This, this surely doesn't come out of thin air. East Africa's biggest port in the Kenyan city of Mombasa says it has dismissed 27 workers at the weekend. The port says it believes the workers were behind a strike last week that paralyzed operations for two days and cost the port at least $2 million. Over 2,000 workers went on strike last Wednesday and Thursday in protest against higher deductions for the government's national health insurance scheme. The work stoppage has disrupted business at the biggest port in the region, which handles imports such as fuel for Uganda, Burundi, Rwanda, South Sudan, Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo and Somalia. And finally, Egypt has raised the prices it pays any in Edison for the natural gas they produce in the country. The agreement marked the latest move by Egypt's authorities to improve terms for foreign oil and gas businesses in the hope that more competitive pricing will encourage investment in the energy-hungry country. The signed deal amended the price for gas with any to a maximum $5.88 for every million British thermal unit and a minimum of four based on amounts produced. The amended prices will apply to gas produced from new discoveries. Taking a look at the financial indicators this hour, the US dollar is trading at 12.37 South African Rand, at 9.80 Botswana Pula and at 7.51 Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and at 0.89 to the euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,168 and platinum at $1,072 an ounce. Finally, the price of burnt crude oil is at $59.53 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Jalani. Our sports updates up next with Figile Lingwati. Now, sports update this hour. We're kicking off with football news. Bafana Bafana cruised into the next round of the Chan qualifiers after a 5 0 aggregate win over Minos, Mauritius. South Africa beat Mauritius 2-0 after going into the encounter with a comfortable 3-0 lead from the first leg. Natalie Germanos reports. Second half goals by Mandla Masango and Wandesile Letlabika were enough to guide Bafana Bafana to a comfortable 2-0 win over Mauritius in the second leg Chan qualifier for a convincing 5-0 win on aggregate. After a first half in which the home side had a few chances to score, it was Bafana who took control after the break as they asserted themselves on opponents ranked more than 100 places below them. With Mauritius goalkeeper Kevin Jean-Louis pulling off a few stunning saves and William Twala hitting the crossbar, it took a deflection from Masango's 69th minute free kick from the edge of the penalty area to eventually break the deadlock. Fifteen minutes later, Letlabika wrapped up the scoring as he side-footed home from close range after being put into space by a neat back heel from substitute Ndumiso Mabena. So a comfortable win for Bafana, who now meet Angola in the next round in October for a place in January's Chan tournament in Rwanda. In fact, that is Muhammad Ali, not Natalie Germanus. Now, Stephen Keshi has been sacked as coach of Nigeria and replaced by Shaibu Amudu. The move comes barely two weeks after the NFF opened an investigation into reports that Keshi applied to manage Ivory Coast while under a valid contract with Nigeria. 
Keshi recently claimed an unnamed agent had submitted his name without his knowledge for the Ivory Coast position. And the football of South Africa's men's football team registered its first win in the Wales Student Games in more than 10 years when they beat Ukraine 3-1 at the Gonchang Public Stadium in Guangzhou in South Korea. A brace from Jeremiah Nguana and a goal from Jerome Stoneman was enough to come back from a goal down and secure the most important win. South African men's who last took part in these games in Serbia 10 years ago lost 3-1 to France in the opening game and now sit on the second spot in Group B with this result. Head coach Thomas Tema says their tactics worked perfectly on the day. Also the plan because we had time to analyze the, the opponents before the match and uh, the way we wanted to, to, to play it, it, it came out right because we wanted to dribble, we wanted to be quick on the ball and make sure that we close them, force them to play how we want them to play. After we considered the first goal, uh, our boys dropped their heads. So, uh, I mean, the striker that we had is a target striker and then he, he will be playing to their advantage. So we had to get a player that will inspire them. Uh, that will play the Kasi style, will dribble, will pass and follow and so on. So that, obviously, when he got in, it worked because then uh, once you dribble them, they get frustrated. They start kicking us, then that's when we also gained confidence. In athletics, sprinter Henrico Bringes has set a new South African record in the 100 meters for men. The South African won the event at an international meet in Switzerland in a time of 9.97 seconds. The performance by Branches comes four days after Aka Nisimbine won the 100 meters in Slovenia in a time of 9.99 seconds. Their countryman, Wade van Niekerk, also set a new African and South African record in a 400 meters in the Diamond League meet in Paris. And finally, with the golf news, Ben Wiesberger has won the Austin Open de France for his third European Tour title. The Austrians finished on 13 under par after a superb closing 65 to win by three strokes from James Morrison. Nick Dyer reports. A run of five birdies in six holes pushed Wiesberger to the top. A controlled and faultless run on the back nine was topped by a birdie at the last in front of packed galleries. Miguel Angel Jimenez had told him to always try to finish in style. He did so, earning a first victory since 2012 at his own National Open. Morrison, the Spanish Open champions, enjoying a wonderful year and earns a place at the Open Championship as a result of finishing second. And third place, Jaco Van Zeel, will also be headed to St Andrews. Martin Keimer feels his performance in finishing fourth has prepared him for the major challenge to come. Wiesberger has come close on numerous occasions of late. He's now got his reward and a place in the world's top 25 beckons. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. The Sutu urge to introduce security reforms and SADC parliamentary forum gets underway in Durban. And that wraps, wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagadza and Jane Matebula, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS on plus two seven eight. 
0614-786-957-930. You can also tweet us and follow us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is the Soul Brothers fronted by David Masondo, who passed away yesterday with a song titled Isipiti Piti. Sí, 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 sí. 